Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ryan's intro for Riding in Cars with Boys, starring Drew Barrymore, Steve Zahn, directed by Penny Marshall. Uh, I was editing the episode tonight, and it got me on a YouTube rabbit hole, just watching clips, you know, to be used in the edit for things, and I got to a pretty crucial scene between Steve Zahn and his his character's son in this movie, and it's it's real heartbreaker. Um, and this movie, you guys, is something that has some serious heart to it, and I have to say, being a parent of a year and a half year old, man, it's 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 devastating, but also it's it's a good. It gave me a good cry. This movie gave me a good cry. Um, I don't know if you hear him in the back, but it just, you know, watching these clips made me grateful that I have a son and I have my family life. And man, isn't that what movies are for is to make you appreciate what you've got in your life. So we've got, we've got quibbles with this. We've got non quibbles. It's Penny Marshall's riding in cars with boys. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I am Kelly McCrillis, and as always with me is my co-host, Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves, tell me, sir, what did we watch this week? Riding in cars with boys. There was a lot of that in this movie. Riding in cars with more boys. There were a lot of boys. There was... Yeah, there were cars. There were boys. Yeah. And there, there was riding. That's about it. Yeah. Um, I... We... Don't have as much time as usual to record this week because we're both busy, busy people, busy with, dudes, busy, with lives busy dudes, and and houses, and no, we don't have houses, but you know, we have we have small townhomes to take care of. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm the HOA president, so I'm uh, I'm Mr. Fraser Crane in this neighborhood. So you know, Fraser Crane doesn't become the HOA president, right? I am. Oh, his, he does for an episode. I am and then his he gets aspiration. Yeah, I have. Surpassed. You have the power. Fraser Crane. I have the power of the HOA management companies. Way to go, Fraser. Oh, dear God. You love doing it, don't you? I hate it. <laughs> um, I have no such thing. Um, our, we, we live in like a three, like a small three townhome thing with three townhomes across from us and a very mutual g- garbage can between us. Oh. And I'm the guy who keeps restructuring all the cardboard in our recycle bins because don't even get me started what happened this week is they forgot to come pick up the recycling well i guess last week and so now it's just like stacks on stacks on stacks so i keep like every time somebody comes out and just dumps cardboard i keep like funneling it in a neat package uh so that's what i'm up to (laughs) i was in my basement storage unit and i was talking to a plumber he was looking at a pipe that he needs to replace and i was like the representation of like getting the bid from this guy i'm just sitting there i'm like 33, I hate being a grown-up. This is so boring. What have I done with my life? Why do I have to go through such boring grown-up stuff? Speaking of boring grown-up stuff, um, do you want to tell me the story of this movie? Yes. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. 
the end. Okay, writing cars with boys. Drew Barrymore, 37-year-old playing a 15-year-old for a part of this movie. She kind of nails it, actually. She really does. Um, she is... I think Drew Barrymore is the... Is is essentially the Paul Rudd of yes. the female world. She's she's a good she's a looker. She's good looking. She's good looking. She has um like the she has the range required for this role. Yeah, and there's just something about her cherubic face where it's like, yeah, you could be 15. It's like it's that person where I'm sure if I was in a bar and I was like single and on the prowl kind of guy, which I've never been. <laughs> But if I was that person and I walked up to her, I would have like immediately be like, oh, are wait, you uh, my eight? Wait, uh, maybe I should. And then you do the test of like, oh, man, I was watching this um, this cartoon from, you know, back in the day when I was in fifth grade. I was watching Recess. Do you guys remember Duck? And if she, if she like crinkles her brow, I'm like, ooh, not you. Rugrats, <laughs> are you there? Are you with me? <laughs> wait, what do we call that? That's like, um, it's like kind of a pH test. Yeah, and like sometimes Sarah's only two years younger than me, but she like brings up Disney Channel shows. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like Xenon? No, I was there for Xenon. This was she was talking about like Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I'm oh like, yeah, I, I also just missed that. Okay, good for you. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Drew Barrymore. She's living in cars. She's with boys. Yeah. Okay. So this this movie, first and foremost, let's say that this movie was adapted from a memoir written by Beverly D'Onofrio, who uh, Drew Barrymore is playing in this movie. Uh-huh. And uh, in this movie, we're basically premised with um, kind of a a uh, framing device where she is in the future on a road trip with a guy, um, and they are going somewhere in order to get her book published. Right. And like, that's the framing device. Right. But most of the movie is told through flashbacks to Beverly growing up and getting to this point. And she says, there's basically five moments that really make your life. And at every single one of those moments, um, we kind of like flashback and see those moments. And, but uh, it's not, it's not strict. Like, no, these are the five days. It's just kind of like the five days will eventually get covered. And she doesn't even say always, she's not like, this is day number three. No, 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 no. It's, it's nothing so strict and hard and fast and riding in cars with boys is that, (laughs) uh, but the moments all have to do with her dad. Uh, yeah, basically. So, so at that point in time, is she calling her dad a boy or should it have been riding in cars with men? I think he's a boy. Hey, so Kelly. <laughs> James Woods. <laughs> can you tell me how much you related to this movie? She, her dad is a cop mm-hmm. and your dad was a cop. That's true. I want to hear how you related to this movie. Um, or at well, least that well, aspect Well, I mean, so when movie. my dad caught me drawing weed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my my dad and I never really crossed paths in the kind of way that sh- she crosses paths with her dad. Uh, I don't think we were in as small of a town as she was in. Mm-hmm. Like she's like this movie set in Connecticut and she's a small town girl and her dad's a cop. <laughs> um, so I never really had to deal with any of that. My, um, did you ever worry that you would have some kind of encounter out in the city with your dad? Like you'd run into him? Like, I know he was at your high school one time as a cop, but, um, well, there was this, uh, it was more that if I got in trouble with anybody else, they would tell my dad. Uh, uh there was one time where I got, um, like, <laughs> 
we we trespassed at a local high school during the winter and yeah. we like there was the only high school with an outdoor pool and it snowed so much that year that we were like yeah let's go jump in the snow in this pool because it was like a really dumb stupid high school thing where we could go yeah. jump into this pool and it was in the evening and somebody called the cops saying that like there were trespassers at the school uh. and so this cop showed up it was a canine unit and <laughs> the dog like like he like unleashed the dog to basically like scare us and um eventually like we were like he he came and approached us and like sat us all down with our hands behind our back and was like about to put handcuffs on and oh my gosh then i was i i did that thing and i was like what like did we do anything wrong and he's like this is trespassing and i was very lucky that like you know nothing happened but like the whole next day my dad was like or i was just waiting for my dad to be like Kelly. Hey, so I was told something. Never yeah. happened though. The guy never like like connected the oh, last man. name with the last name or oh, anything. Um, but so you never got pregnant at fifteen and had to tell your dad. No, I didn't. And okay. like my just my, want to double check. I I am that classic kid who who definitely has different views than his cop dad. Yeah. Um. I mean, it kind of it's that you know cop cop dad or like pastor dad yeah you know but did thing. his character but, ring true to you in this movie of like yeah that's that's cop dad yeah yeah very much so my, i think my dad is a little bit more vulnerable uh-huh. and less like the i james woods as a dad is i would not want james Woods. i as would a not dad. want him as a dad <laughs> because emotionally he's not only unavailable but he has so much ego yeah so let's let's get into that yeah Basically, the first thing we get that they're really good buddies. Her and her dad. Her and her dad. Yeah. And um, like she just has a mom and a sister, right? Yeah. That's that's her her whole family unit. But she asks, like her dad's like, "You want a bike for Christmas?" And she's like, "No." There's this guy at school I like, and I want a bra because he likes this other girl who has a bra, yeah. and I don't have a bra, so I can't show off my boobs. And he's like. No, be smart. Don't be a dummy. Don't be a woman. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be a woman who has like needs and you know valid concerns. Total nineteen fifties dad, where he's in denial of his his little girl growing up. Sure. So that rang true to me. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're telling me your dad denied you a bra as well. All I wanted was a bra. I didn't even. It could have been a training bra. <laughs> I can just imagine you like at fifteen. You're like, I want a bra, and your dad's like, okay. Okay, <laughs> like brings you ones like here, Kelly. No, my my dad would have sat me down and been like, "Do we need to have a conversation?" <laughs> so, uh, you know, Drew Barrymore, her character's Bev Beverly. Yeah, Bev. Uh, You're holding she, your hands, kind of like questioning, but it's around your uh, non-existent boobs. Huge tracts of lands, kind of questions. <laughs> She's, you know, your your typical teenager. She goes to parties, meets boys. She wants to tell the football player she told she totally pulls a never been kissed yes the, i mean this is basically a standard drew barrymore move in movies <laughs> is i'm going to read a poem that i thought about you in front of your friends and like she doesn't read it i guess she gives it she to gives him this poem but it's just kind of like okay you're 15 i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not thinking this this move this out <laughs> this is not the no i don't know anybody who's done this who hasn't had Complete, com- like, you don't go read a poem to somebody unless you got, like, some, well, unless you got some balls. Yeah. Which she does, I guess. But, 
Like, I, I feel like you gotta know this move is coming. If you know the person that you're attracted to, I, since and the, I feel like there's a dissonance there. Since Drew Barrymore has done this twice in a row in, in movies, I think her as an actress reads this beat and she's like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I can and we're like, that. true. Are you sure? She's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I would do that. It's like, okay, I, we're going to humiliate you now. She's like, great. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> One, wait, this is in 2001. Yes, when so this never, app, never been kissed was like 98. So did the filmmakers from this say no, 99? Sorry. Did the filmmakers from this say, oh, Drew, I loved what you did. <laughs> that was awesome. Can you do it again? Baller move. We need to do it. <laughs> yeah. So she gets humiliated, goes up to the bathroom and cries and meets Steve Zahn. Right. Love Who, seeing Steve Zahn here. Steve Zahn is, is charming no matter what. And Even as a heroin addict, he's somehow charming. Yeah. And I think he does a really, really good job playing dumb in yeah. this movie. Like Steve's, I've met Steve Zahn in real life. He is a charming Man about town. Mm-hmm. He he is. I I would say endlessly charming is one of the We're ways I would a couple degrees him. away from Steve Zahn because Rachel, friend of the show, friend of the show, did a did a scene with him and Lean on Pete. Mm-hmm. So we are and you met him. It's just me who hasn't met Steve Zahn. <laughs> He's that's so embarrassing. I I will make it happen. We'll make it happen, right? Come on. It'll it'll be if I have to die trying. It'll I'll, happen. I'm not going to die trying, but but, it'll, it'll uh, but he plays like this like nice mechanic guy who is a dummy is a kind of a dummy he like i think he 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 doesn't know what the the way we meet him is he's in a bathroom looking for pills and he finds these birth control, uh, birth pills. control pills and he takes one <laughs> in the bidet <laughs> that was pretty good and so he stands up for her and he beats up the um great move he's yeah. like Punch me in the chin, punch me in the chin, and then he just throws his noggin down and and gets breaks bre- the dude's fist, breaks the football. Like I, you gotta assume he's like the quarterback. Good move. That's yeah. a Jack Reacher move right there. Very yeah. good. Yeah, I yeah. Like I mean, one to one equivalent, right? Oh there. yeah, he's a Jack Reacher. And then basically what happens is like her dad finds her making out with with Mister Zahn, with Mister Zahn, and while her two friends, uh, friends played by. Um, Brittany Murphy, uh-huh. um, who oh, I miss her so much. Uh, She's really good in this. Yeah. Uh, Brittany Murphy and whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> what was his name? Bobby, right? Was that was that John Moscow? I guess so. John Moscow's in this movie. I, th- I think it's I think that's him. But yeah. John Moscow plays the young Tom Hanks in Big. Oh, really? Also directed by Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall directed both of these movies, Big and, and this. Ryan from the future here. It's David Moscow. David. Come on, Ryan. Get it together. David Moscow. Yeah. And A League of Their Own. Right. Which there were a couple people from League of Their Own. Yes, too. Yeah. So um, dad catches them. Oh, they have sex. Like the other people are definitely like boning in the back of the car while they make out. And I'm like, that car cannot. Like there's a (laughs) lot of different kind of sex in that car. And the windows are all steamy. And... When the when the dad comes to that car, I just really hope they didn't roll down the window because he's gonna smell things that he <laughs> didn't. Gonna want smell to. like sex and candy. I smell sex and candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, the dad gets mad, but then she gets knocked up by Steve Zahn. Mm-hmm. And she has this reckoning moment where she tells her parents, like, hey, I don't want to get married. I want to have this kid and then, like, make a life for myself. Yeah. And then her dad says, you've ruined 
my life or our lives or yeah. our, like my vision for you. I can't be proud anymore or hold my head up high. And then she's like, I guess I'll get married then yeah. to make you okay. Yeah. It's a very Jane Austen moment because she's just, she's just like horrified at herself. Right. She's like if if Lizzie Bennet combined with um, who's her sister that ends up marrying Willoughby. No, not Willoughby. No. Um, um, Wickham. Yeah. Uh, Lydia? Lydia, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is Lydia. Okay. Because Kitty's the other young one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. <laughs> but she's she's like headstrong, but she's also, I'd say as a character, she's not, she's not nice. No. She's not a nice protagonist, but she's not mean either. She's just like... She's trying her best. She's just trying her best. She's a little selfish but you kind of understand why yeah uh growing up in the house that she's growing up in so then we get the progression of the story is she and steve's on have this little house and they're raising this baby and it's fine for a while but it's really hard work because she's got to get her ged and go to night school and steve's on is not super supportive he's like he's an airhead he's yeah, not he's you can't not rely there on for her she gets to the point where she's trying to get a a scholarship and to Steve's NYU, on, I think. Yeah, and Steve's on supposed to take care of the boy for a while, but he's he's too high or he's just gone. And he, he's working on like a car with his friend Lizard. Yeah, and so he's got to uh, bring. Uh, she's got to bring him to the interview, and it doesn't go well because he's three and he can't help being three. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I felt so bad because like if I was the admissions guy doing the the scholarship, I would see it. And it's kind of like a scholarship. It's kind of like a heart transplant. It's like, are you going to treat this heart right? Or are you just going to like do drugs and like, you know, ruin this thing that we're going to give you? Because we only have one. Yeah. And he sees the kid and it's like, I don't know if you can handle it. Right. And she like, she's, she doesn't want, I like this move where she like looks at him directly and she's like, tell me whether this is going to happen. Because he's like, I'll let you know in like two weeks. Yeah. It's like, don't bother. Just tell me now. Yeah. And he's like, no. Yeah. yeah, so uh, that her struggle is she doesn't want to be a poor mom. She wants to be the maker of her own destiny, and she wants to be a writer, and she knows that she can be a writer. And, sh- and she's good. It's like, from what we see, she's good. But she knows that she has to go to school, and she is just hitting every single wall because she's a parent. And holy shit, do I relate to this movie. <laughs> when when at the beginning, she, she gets pee in her mouth. God, that never in the mouth, but definitely had some projectiles and missiles, and I've I've taken a brunt of of warfare from <laughs> diaper changes. But the the conflict of the movie really is just revolving around this struggle to pursue your dreams while also taking care of a child, while also dealing with a fuck up of a husband and father, and it comes to a head where she learns that Steve Zahn is a heroin addict. Because Steve Zahn basically comes out and says that he is. Yeah, he's yeah. an addict. And he tells her dad, the cop, mm-hmm. which is like the biggest kind of repentant move I could possibly think a person can do to go to not only your father-in-law, which no matter how nice your father-in-law is, there's always a little bit of intimidation. Yeah, and he's not necessarily... He's not necessarily nice, and he's also not necessarily... James Woods is not the easiest person to have a conversation with. Yeah, but also a cop, and to confess that you're a heroin addict. Yeah. 
and that you can't take care of yourself or the you, this person's daughter. Just wow, that's hard. But at the same time, it's like the reason why he's doing it, the reason why he's forced to do it is because basically there's this guy, Tommy, that liked her in high school and he comes to her house at one point in time. He's like, I'm out in California going to school. I have a big place. Like you guys could come stay with me. Yeah. You can like get out of this hellhole you're in and like just get on your feet a yeah. little bit. And she convinces Steve Zahn to say yes. And then he like, but what he's been doing this whole time is blowing all of their savings on smack. Yeah. And uh, so that's why he has to do that is because he says yes to going to California, but like he has nothing to back that up with. Yeah. And even spent the money on baby aspirin for heroin. So, so it's almost more cowardly for him to go at the same time as it is brave to go to her dad rather than tell her. Cause he's yeah. like, I, I need this intermediary to help. Yeah. Do you want it to be him though? I mean, that's rough. <laughs> well, because he's the only one that can like maybe financially help them out slash right. take their kid. And so it's like practical as well. Right. And he wants to get clean, but in it basically kind of because of her pride, like the dad, the dad offers to take the kid and like she can take care of Steve Zahn while he's getting clean. And so she pulls a lore like Gilmore and says, I don't want your help. Yeah. I can do this myself. I don't want or need your help. And like it's it's going okay at first and like it's really hard, but it's going okay. But it's like her being exhausted taking care of both of them leads her to not be able to keep Steve Zahn in the house, which like that's I mean, it's it's almost impossible to give up like that without like more help yeah, yeah yeah and you know this era this this geography this <laughs> they're poor so it's not like he can go to a clinic you know <laughs> there's there's no there's no direction for him and he basically comes to the decision of like well i it's just i'm a heroin addict yeah he's like i can i can basically microdose for I, I, for a long time and she's like no you need to leave and that's such a heart-wrenching moment when he says goodbye to his son I cried. I <laughs> cried so hard. It was, I'm so, was so floored by it. I mean, we were, we were singing Drew Barrymore's praises earlier and she is absolutely fantastic in this movie, but Steve Zahn brings a sense of pathos to a character that we don't necessarily like, like he's not a bad guy. He's just not good for anybody in his life really. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to bring pathos to that. And I think it's a, a triumph on Penny Marshall's and his part. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Green Knight before we started this and talking about like what it means to be chivalric and what it means to be a person of honor. Mm -hmm. And I think having, for me, having a son and having a wife, there's just kind of this standard that every day I need to like bring it, bring it that standard mm -hmm. and like be the dad my son needs. And it's like for Steve Zahn's character, he can't do it, which has got to be, I think deep in, I think in his character, he knows what a shame he is. Oh yeah, for sure. I think he carries that with him. Like, and it's obvious he's carrying that with him. Cause not, he's not only sad that he's saying goodbye. He's sad about the person he is. He's sad that he didn't change for his kid or yeah. couldn't. Um, and, like, yet Drew Barrymore made the right choice. Yeah. Right? I mean, for where she was. Yeah. The flash forward to the end of the movie where there's a reuniting scene between son and child. He basically tells, Steve Zahn tells his grown-up son, 
maybe what was best is for me to not be near you. Yeah. Like I, I was the best dad I could be by leaving. Yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> yeah. It sucks a lot. And so uh, basically let's catch ourselves up then. Um, during this road trip, um, there's like a narration from this, this, the guy in the car that Drew Barrymore's driving with at the beginning of the movie. And he prefaces everything by saying like, I'm going to break this person's heart today. Yeah. And so the movie tricks us and we're like, oh, so, you know, in the future, Drew Barrymore's with this other guy and maybe he's going to, this guy's going on a trip with her, but he's going to break up with her. Yeah. But then at a different flash forward, they pull a switcheroo and he goes, that's not my girlfriend. That's That's my my mother. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, it was, I didn't see it coming. Got me, tricked me, but it was also kind of like, okay, I see what you're trying to do, but something in the execution didn't work because at like the minute 20 mark, his narration starts and I like looked around. I'm like, who's talking to me? Me Yeah. I was like, I don't understand who this is. Why are they talking? You would think. As a memoir, this being Beverly D'Onofrio's memoir, she would be the narrator of this film. Right. But it then comes from the perspective of her son. And I was like, oh, at first I was like, oh, did he pen the movie? Right. And he's like, this isn't the story of writing in cars with boys. This is my take of like adding to that story. Yeah. And no, not really. It was written by this guy, um, Morgan Ward. Who also wrote other like nothing? No, he was he was a, an actor in Spang in Spanglish. Okay, there you go. That's it. So I don't know who this guy is, but he he wrote this for Penny Marshall and great. Um, but like basically, he there's okay. So uh, Brittany Murphy is our other like um, kind of protagonist in this movie Mm -hmm. where she's like the best friend. She gets pregnant around the same time and they decide to raise their kids together. And she has this kid named Amelia. And we find out that, uh, Drew Barrymore's son who goes by the name of Jason. Yeah. All right. Played by Adam Garcia when he's older and, um, somebody else famous. Really? I didn't recognize the kid. The kid, uh, the kid was played, by Logan Lerman. I don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> he's also in person being Wallflower. Okay. okay. Um, the Jason and Amelia are like planning on, you know, getting together and he wants to move to Indiana and change schools because he's going to NYU right now. And his mom's like, no, you can't because it was always my dream to go to NYU and you, you have to do it. For you me. have to fill my dream. And at one point in time, she says, you ruined my life, which is the same thing that, the dad says to her when she's younger. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> eventually, apparently, she does turn their life around. And that's kind of what we get at this point. She's been working for a couple of magazines and newspapers in New York. And she's finally written this book. And it's about to get published. Uh-huh. But they sh- are going to Steve Zahn's place because... They need to get his consent because basically it's a book about how Steve Zahn is a trash bag. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Steve Zahn is a good guy. And so he, like, at his core, he is good, I would say. Yeah. And so, uh, like, Rosie Perez shows up for a second as, like, his... Good to see her. Yeah, his also maybe junkie wife yeah. or or something. And um, 
She's like, no, we need uh, like hundred thousand dollars, and uh, he's like, no, 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 just absurd. <laughs> yeah, and I like the handoff where she's like watching from the window, and he's like, I'm gonna hug you and put this okay, it's in this in. in your pocket, and uh, they basically have these conversations about like how you know she was trying to be the best mom, and he felt like he was raising her, and there's like this perspective about like everybody feels like they have it hardest when it comes to a hard relationship. Yeah. Like he felt like he raised his mom and she felt like she spent all of her time raising him yeah. rather than pursuing her dreams. And there's like this tug of war, but they come to a good place and then she calls her dad and her dad picks her up. And they sing dreams. And that's basically the end of this movie. That's not quite a rom-com. Yeah. But, uh, it certainly was marketed as one. Yeah. And I think we should talk about that real quick. Let's play a little snippet of the trailer. Shall we? Mm-hmm. Mom's gonna love this treat. Hey, you thought about what you want for Christmas? You want the bike, don't you? <laughs> Come on, get on. Okay, Pop. For Christmas, I'd like a bra to enhance what I got, which is a lot more than that Melissa Thomas. I'm telling you nicely that you're too young. Well, whether I'm too young to have them or not, I've got them. I'm a woman. Boys were her destiny. Always, get out. That's my dad. All we would do was make it out. And I never go past second base with a guy I just met, which means nothing below the waist. Boys were her weakness. Pretend that I'm your parents. Mom, Pop, yeah, I'm pregnant. My daughter's a tramp. My daughter's a tramp? You're in disgrace. I wish that you were never born. Okay, go. Until one boy... I didn't have a boy, I had a girl. ...changed everything. No, we had a boy. So he's gonna grow up and be just like me. <laughs> From director Penny Marshall... <laughs> what happened? ...comes the story of a girl... It got in my mouth! ...whose dreams took an unexpected turn. What's well, one bad day, right? <laughs> one day can make your life. The trailer makes it seem so much bubblier than the movie actually is. The trailer, like I, I, it made it seem far more like a, like the movie Stepmom. Sure. Where, I haven't seen Stepmom, so I don't know. Where It's a little lighter and bubblier, but it also has deeper elements. Yeah. It's like a classic, like 19, like late nineties, early two thousands dramedy. Yeah. And this movie barely... I mean, it had some comedy in it for sure, but like that was not the focus. So, uh, nor was the romance. Before <laughs> before our break, I want to talk about some quibbles. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. 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 Quibbles and bits is part of a balanced podcast diet. Please talk to your doctor before listening. Quibbles and bits is for humans, not dogs. Part of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Penny Marshall, talented director, produced by James L. Brooks. Very talented producer. Yes. James L. Brooks is behind as good as it gets, so he knows what he's doing. And The Simpsons. He helped yeah. create The Simpsons. So I know that these... <laughs> um, among millions of other <laughs> yeah. things. I know these filmmakers are really talented. A League of Their Own, great. You know, so many good Tom Hanks moments in there. So many good Gina Davis moments in there. Oh. Come on. Uh, she also did Awakenings, which is a great drama with Robin Williams, Robert mm-hmm. De Niro. Uh, so the drama in this movie pretty much nails it. Yes. There is humor in this movie where it's just like, 
uh, this doesn't work. Sorry, this just doesn't work. A lot of it is in the first act where we see her as a teenager and she's doing teenager things. The side characters in the movie are so flat when they're trying to do humor. Like she's at this party and like the person who's throwing parties like I didn't invite her. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you like you pitched way too much. Like that note to all these other side characters, like the f- nerdy friend that shows up later, he's absurdly nerdy. Yeah. And, and he has like these big white pimples. And it's just like way too much, way too hard. When when the girls show up later, when she's like, you know, full timing at a burger stand, yeah, they're like, we'll have twenty burgers. Ha! I guess you finally live in the place you're supposed to be. And it's like, come, come on. on, nobody's this arch. Like you can't be so nuanced with all these characters, and then all these like, you know, throwaway characters aren't nuanced. Like pick a speed and yep. make it for everybody. Yeah. Uh, where else did this show up? Oh, the girls that were like going up to. Jason in a flash forward and like, oh, oh yeah. hi, dreamboat. <laughs> like, okay, I know I'm not I'm not the most handsome person in the world, so I, I haven't encountered such things. But Kelly, you're you're Neither an attractive Adam man. Garcia though. You're an attractive man. Have you ever encountered women who are literally like li- licking the window as you're you're making a phone oh, call all the time? I have to carry Windex <laughs> with me. Oh. <laughs> it's just kind of like I'm sorry. No, Adam Garcia is fine. He's he's a He's a, a vanilla LL Bean model, <laughs> but n- <laughs> no. Even if even if it was George Clooney, no girls are going to be like that. No, it's no. just stupid. It it felt like a like like a like part of this movie felt like it was characterizing itself. Yeah, and and it felt like a disservice to it because there was so much of it that was that felt meaningful and impactful. However, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit in trope talk. Um, the the book is very different from the movie that was made. Oh, okay. So so we'll get there. But yeah, you're right. This um, I think this movie pitched, uh, as I think was evidenced by the marketing. This movie tried to be for everyone by not picking a lane and staying in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And I think something the film industry has kind of figured out is like we can't do that anymore we can't do broad filmmaking and try and get four quadrants the only way we can get everyone in the theater is with a marvel movie or pixar yeah that's yeah. that's how you're gonna get everybody but if you're trying to make a warm-hearted romantic dramedy you're gonna get either the rom-com gents or women between 18 and, and 60 like that's that's like pick your demographic uh-huh. and just pitch to them Yeah. 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 Because like this movie was pitching, this movie was trying to pitch to everybody. It was like, everybody's going to enjoy this because it's like lighthearted and it's a comedy thing. And, but it's also got some depth and it's like, no, that wasn't this movie. This movie was, was pretty depressing for, or hard or dramatic for the most part with some like light moments that you guys, like some producers were like, this needs more of this in it, I think. Okay. So here's my theory. Yeah. I was watching the movie with headphones on. And did you notice a lot of uh, ADR? Yes. Okay. So at some point, ADR is uh, a dialogue replacement, automatic dialogue replacement or audio audio dialogue. It, it, it basically means people <laughs> recorded lines of dialogue after the fact. We should know this. We've done it professionally a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's when, it's when there are like lines 
said in the movie that you don't see them saying it in the take, but it's just kind of like in the background. It's all over the place. Or no, I mean, it could also be lines that like someone someone didn't get right on the day or yeah. the recording wasn't correct and you're just like replacing it after yeah. the fact. But in this context, it was a lot of lines added when we don't see them moving their lips. It's just we're so, behind someone them. in the background yells something or Yeah. It's all over the place. And so that tells me one of two things. Either Penny Marshall edited the film, looked at it and was like, it's missing something and just went in and just like added on top of these Man, moments in the wedding, especially because this wedding is very painful, but there's always people commenting in the background, like, Oh, can you believe blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. Or James L. Brooks took the cut. Cause he was the executive producer. And he's like, that's ah, missing something. And peppered in all these ADR or a studio head was like, that's ah, missing something. And then added that kind of stuff. This is a very Harvey Weinstein thing to do. Yeah. Uh, where he so. took movies and, chopped them up, added things, uh, gross, <laughs> uh, among other gross things. Blech. So I think if you didn't do the ADR, it would have been much better. I think so too. I think they were, they didn't believe in this movie as it was. I think they, I mean, they didn't believe in the book as it was, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, because they changed that quite a bit, but I think you have to, you have to, you have to, if you're going to believe in a movie, if you're going to put money behind it, you have to believe in the filmmakers. Yeah. And I feel like somebody didn't. Something went wrong. And so I'd say this movie is, is good, but it's so regrettable how flawed it is. Yeah. And, and it's not even like it has great cast, like really tense, dramatic, beautiful moments. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's just some things about it that seem off and it's not like the, not necessarily the filmmaking because it feels perfect almost Mm -hmm. like in the way that like something filmed in the late nineties, early two thousands with film, everybody is like, like Penny Marshall is like a consummate, like perfect director of like her line is always perfect. Her, like her framing is fantastic. The lighting is great. Like yeah. none of that's off. It's just, there's too many fingers in the pie. It yeah. feels like it's kind of like when you go to a, a symphony and it's a college symphony and the soloists are the seniors who are majoring in their instrument. Uh-huh. And so the soloists, and it's like, you're going to a violin concerto. It's like the violin parts are really, really good. Mm-hmm. But then there's three or four people that are a little off when everybody's playing yeah, together. There's some freshmen in there and it's like, you're at a small school. So they have to use the freshmen for the, like, you to know, fill it out the a squad. And it's just kind of like, Ugh, Ooh, overall it's good but man i really wish it wasn't freshman in those seats <laughs> <laughs> all right well on that note um let's uh let's throw it on over to trope talk huh and we're back with trope talk i'm gonna recycle this trope but you're gonna like it kelly it's like dope talk mm. but with more heroin <laughs> With more heroin. We don't see the heroin, but it, it affects people. No, this movie was very PG-13 with its, its depiction. Like, like we don't see any track marks on Steve Zahn, but he's been doing heroin for, like, years. Yeah. Like, ha- and she has that line that was like, um, I can't believe I didn't know. Like, she feels so ashamed for not knowing that he was doing heroin. It's like... Well, you don't have to be so ashamed because we weren't shown either. Yeah, we didn't know either, Drew Barrymore. It's totally cool. Um... So the trope that we're going to talk about is also a recycle. We've kind of, we've talked a little bit about adaptation before, Mm -hmm. but I think what we need to talk about is um, almost the, I want to call this like believing, believing in the the bones of your story or making it more cinematic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, where like if you have something like Lord of the Rings, for the most part, Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and who's the other writer? Philippa, Philippa Boyens. Um, all tried to do the best they could to make three films of three books that stuck to the books. And there are obvious deviations, but what they got was the soul. Yeah. Like, like for instance, Pippin in Lord of the Rings never says, they come in pints, I'm getting one. Mm-hmm. But you believe he would have. Right. Um, they take out people like Tom Bombadil and like certain stuff with the Ents happens like but at they different take times. Tom Bombadil's dialogue and they give it to other characters. Right. And not in a way that would be annoying. They give it to like Treebeard and it's like, okay, yeah, he would be the other person that would say something like right. this. Uh, and for the most part, like everybody's saying, they get rid of some characters and replace them with Arwen to give her a bigger role. Yeah. It's, it's small sins. Yeah. Right. And, and it's something that I necessary sins, necessary sins to make something more cinematic. Right. Um, then there's movies like, like the Marvel movies who take, uh, specific stories from the, the comic books. And they're like, wow, this was told over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can do that in one movie. And so we're going to basically, like strip it down, take away a lot of the parts and just give you the essentials. And totally change motivations, as I'm told. Like the Thanos arc, not really the same in the movies as was in the comics. No, but it couldn't be as complicated as it was in the comics unless they were going to do it over eight movies. Yeah. Which they kind of did, but didn't. And then there's adaptations of like literature, right? Like your your Pride and Prejudices, Mm -hmm. um, which... You know, you it w- like as witty as that book is, we don't live inside of the heads of the the actual people in the movie. Like I, I'm not in Lizzie Bennett's head all the time. And so right. you you have to be more cinematic about like what you choose to put in your films. Yeah. Just because like it would be so dry if we weren't in the heads of all these people. Yeah, because because I'm reading Mansfield Park right now. And oh, <laughs> Fanny Price, there's this big dramatic moment. I don't think you've gotten to it yet because you're reading two. I'm in chapter 12, so I don't think so. Are you volume two? I'm in volume three now. just started volume two. Oh, okay. So I just started volume three and some things happen. And Jane Austen has to describe so complicated emotions that Fanny is dealing with as something is happening. And I'm sitting there as a filmmaker and as a screenwriter and I've made movies and I've written scripts and I'm reading this. I'm like, how the hell could I convey this? Mm-hmm. It's it's so complicated of a thought that Fanny's having. I don't know how I could convey this. So I'm really excited to watch the movie because I'm just like, this has to happen in the movie, but I don't know how they're going to do it. So that's the problem with adaptation is mm-hmm. so much of literature is interior. Correct. And not through action. And cinema is all about action. And I think, I think Ang Lee did it really well in Sense and Sensibility where there's moments where... Eleanor is feeling so many different things for Edward and the situation they're in, but you really only get it because of what has been prefaced and the performance of the actors. And Emma Thompson, when she cries, says so much. She says so much. And how she cries. Um, Now we have, what we have here is the, I think the last type of, of adaptation where you take the concept of something and you say, I'm going to make a movie out of this, not following necessarily the plot, mm-hmm. 
but I mean, following the general bones of the plot, but you're getting, you're changing the meat out. Yeah. You're like, I'm not going to make a roast beef. I'm going to make a roast chicken. Mm -hmm. Like it's still meat that I'm roasting in the oven with carrots and potatoes for a while, but it's a completely different meat. Right. And I've read a couple articles on, there's this one, um, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was in Salon and it was by another woman who had had a child in her teens and went to Wesleyan, which is the same place Mm. that Beverly D'Onofrio went. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think the article is very good. I don't recommend it to people, (laughs) but she was um, kind of going on about how the actual book itself is kind of about a young teen who decided like, Hey, I want to live my own life, not in the same way that people in this small town lived it. And it's, more championing the choices that she made rather than like saying like she, she really made a big stink about the fact that um, Beverly in this movie, when she's a teenager is shown as being like a teenager doing immature stuff, like not cleaning up enough and Mm -hmm. like her mom's cleaning up for her and taking care of stuff around the house and like how, you know, she like, the boy, like her son looks like a, like a preppy Eddie Bauer model. Right. Yeah. And like her son's quoted and saying like, he never wants to leave New York because anything outside of New York is just boring. Like uh-huh. why would people like want to live outside of New York? And so she's like, there's all these things that are way different, mm-hmm. but setting that aside, I don't know what Beverly D'Onofrio actually thinks about this movie, but she setting- is a producer. So there's gotta be, if she has a producer credit, there's gotta be some kind of uh, collaboration. Right. And setting all of that aside, this story in and of itself, I think is one that deserves to be told. But one of the, the big things that seems to be a different difference between this movie and what this woman who I was reading was critiquing it for becoming was that she said this movie seemed like a cautionary tale against getting pregnant, Mm. like kind of a writing for abstinence type film. Right. Whereas the book itself was saying, no, I got pregnant, had a kid, but like we lived a great life and you can do it too. If this happens to you, like you can be both a, a single or, you know, young mom and, still make it in this world and I'm paving a way for you. Yeah. And I don't think this movie was writing for abstinence. I, I think it was a movie saying sometimes it's hard when you have a lot going on in your life and you're not getting enough support. Yeah. And you have a little bit of pride. I think like this character is a character full of pride and like, that's not a, I don't think it's depicted as a bad thing. I'm, I think it's depicted as sometimes that makes it harder. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, adaptation, adaptation is a tricky thing. Like, right. The other issue of adapting this memoir, I I doubt it was told in the chronological way the movie goes. No. Yeah. Because (laughs) this movie handles her still needing to get the book published. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is the movie wants to kind of get at her son's perspective a little bit, which kind of betrays and belies the whole point of a memoir in the sense of it's a woman's story. Yes. Now we're taking, we're literally taking away her voice and giving it to her son. So I don't, I, I, I mean, I don't know if Morgan um, Ward was, is, is a man or a woman, but um, I'm, I'm a Kelly. I get it. Sure. My middle name's Morgan. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it did feel like they were really stripping away her voice by not giving her the narration. Right. And it's just kind of a weird choice. But yeah. I get it because they're saying we need to understand her son because he is the central aspect to everything. It, he is what causes the course of her life. Right. And I, I, I think it gave the movie more depth, but I think they might have been able to accomplish it still if she, like the whole movie was her thinking one way about her being a great mom mm-hmm. and then her son being like, no, I I did so much and they have that argument anyway. Or or strip it all away. I don't think this movie needed narration yeah. for one. I don't think that trick was necessary. No, but I, I am glad that it had the structure that it had, that it was flashbacks and Me flash too. forwards. Because I, I think it is all about the context of these moments. Do you think maybe the flashbacks... Just like with the dialogue that were written, uh, that was written for the future car ride. Yeah. Um, do you think they watched a cut and were like, I don't really get that there is like these, that this is a different time period. I don't know where she is in her life right, right. now. Thus, we need narration. I. It does feel like a post decision. Yeah. Which is foolish. It is. It is. It, I mean, it's a bandaid. Yeah. Uh, which again, it's another flaw and it's kind of death by a thousand cuts where it's like, it all adds up, but it gets to a point where it's like, uh, this is kind of, this isn't working as well as it could have. Can I ask you whether you liked this movie? I really liked this movie. I did too. But it it was just kind of, again, that grating feeling of like, it's so sad. This could have been a contender. Yeah. This, I mean, I wouldn't have like, if this movie fixed a, uh, like fine tuned its moments, it would have been like, it would have been best picture bait. Yeah. And Brittany, like, like we didn't even talk about like Brittany Murphy and like she leveled up in this movie. She really did. She like she brought it in a way that made me doubly sad that she's gone because Clueless was 96, 95. Mm-hmm. And some I think this is where like like a Pokemon evolution. She went from like uh, a Charmeleon in Clueless to a Charizard in in this. Nice. She's just brilliant. Yeah, she is. And. Steve Zahn is, I mean, I, I feel like all the actors, even James Woods is just like, they're all playing their parts pitch perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that the the movie doesn't quite, like at one point in time, the dad, like they're at the wedding and the dad's like, I know you're all here amidst my shame, but that <laughs> makes you all important to me. So thanks for coming, even though my daughter is shaming me. And it's like, fuck, man. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't know who could go to a wedding and cheers after that. Right. Like every single person in that audience is like, yeah, you know, it's, it's good for you to say this at your daughter's wedding when she's supposed to be happy. And it's like, I don't, I don't know who would do that. And yet they've built this world where there's a bunch of ridiculous people who think that's okay to say. Yeah. It is a 1960s thing. I guess so. Where, I don't know, the only option for a knocked up daughter was to just marry them off and get them get them going a few years earlier than yeah. everyone else does. Uh-huh. The The other thing this movie does, which is like, I get it, guys. There's so many needle drops where it's like certain <laughs> bands were playing uh, and it's just like, it's 1973. I, and they're like, by the way, there's there's Coke now. <laughs> And it's like, it's 1987. <laughs> We're listening to Cindy Lauper. It's like, I get it. I get it. I get and it. I th- Thanks. And I think that's 
that was their first attempt to say, okay, this is later. This is the eighties, uh-huh. not this is the seventies because we're playing earth, wind and fire in the seventies and Cindy Lauper in the eighties. So I, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not as blatant as it is in like blast from the past, which makes it like, it, it, it hits a weird middle ground where it's just like, yeah, guys, we get it. I know it's progressed. Like the clothes are different. I yeah. understand Steve Zahn. Basically Steve Zahn's hair tells you how far <laughs> we are along the timeline as well. It felt a little forced gump to me. Did it feel a little forced gump to you? Yeah. Where it's like, it's again, it's broad audience. Forrest gump is a very broad audience type movie where it's like, um, it's like, Hey, Hey boomers, you remember all of this stuff, right? Yeah. We're bringing it for you. Yeah. And so like the dream, 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 dream. like it felt, I, I was kind of taken away on this journey in the beginning of the film when it was showing us the fifties. Yeah. The cars and the houses, like those are the houses that I want to live in. And so they're like looking at houses. I'm like, Oh yeah. Cause well, like I'm on Zillow every day and I see that house that they're looking at. And I'm just like, I, I extremely relate to this moment. I, I related to it in the moment where I kind of got sad for my past self mm. because I saw movies like akin to this or, um, like, uh, home alone. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it's a family that lives in the suburbs, but everybody lives in a giant house. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this, is that what we get when we grow up? Is, right. that, is that something that would be nice? And that's never happened. Like, there's, there's no way... Like I could afford anything like that. And yeah. these are all people in the sixties. Right. And so yeah. seeing those houses, I'm like, you lied to me the late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands. It's just like our parents, like what? You don't have $300,000 ready for your down payment. What have you I been know, doing? Right? <laughs> but regardless, <laughs> all I, I needed was a thousand dollars for my down payment. What's your problem? My, my grandparents like, uh, were describing the fact that they bought their first house for like $19,000 in, I think, um, Highland Park, and um, I was I was just like, <sighs> and they're like, don't worry, you'll be able to do a down payment. I'm like, no, we can't. The down payment must be like four times what your first house cost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, regardless, I really did like that aspect of this movie though, because it felt like that felt very real. Uh-huh. But them being together at the end and like. They bond over the fact that she was mad at her kid and that he thinks that she was a bad mom. And he's like, basically, when she says that, like, he starts singing dream, dream, dream. And it felt like this weird circle of life thing where it's like, you know what? Kids are always going to hate you. It's this thing that I hear a lot, especially from people in the generation, particularly the boomer generation. Yeah. Where they say, you know what? Everything's a cycle. And you're going to feel this exact way that I felt about your kid. And like, and then I'm like, am I, am I full of hubris thinking that my life could be a little bit different than my life with my parents, uh, with my kids, or is it just going to be the exact same? And it's just a rotating cycle, no matter what. See, the way I read the ending was her dad was basically like trying to repair their relationship. But he doesn't say anything that helps. No, because he doesn't know how to say it. 
He's a cop from the 1950s. He doesn't have the language. He doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the equipment. The only thing he can do is appeal to a way that they've connected before. That's all he knows. That's the only move he's got. I know. So they don't go forward. He basically says, remember when we got along? Yeah. I like that. That felt very realistic to me. No, it did feel realistic for sure. I'm. It just... He's not gonna. He's not gonna be able to Mister Rogers the situation and have the wisdom to do anything. I think he's only gonna have what he can. Sure. I, and I. I didn't dislike the ending, but it. It was like, oh, okay. Well, that's nice. Oh, see, I. I'll. I'll go to bat for the ending and say this is how you were supposed to end it. It was. It was a great way because he is kind of saying. Sorry for being so severe with you. That probably wasn't very helpful. And I see that you're going through the shit that I am going through. And I should have just been there for you the way I can be. And I'm going to start restart now. And that's when he starts singing. That's, that's a lot. What I read. That's a lot. That is a lot to infer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think that's a wrong read. It's probably what they were going for. But that's it's. And it's very cinematic because it's not people talking mm-hmm. about their emotions at all. But because he doesn't, it's a lot. He doesn't. She she makes all these complaints in the car, and he doesn't comment or correct. He's just kind of like, yeah, like just this weird understanding of like being a parent is hard because you love them and you're ashamed by them, but you love them and it's hard. Yeah, I guess so. But like me seeing his character, I'm like. You know, she probably could have had a little bit better of a time if you weren't such an asshole. Yeah. Like, she probably wouldn't be dealing with this But right do you now. think his character would be capable of such repentance? I think, I no, I mean, I think this his character could have if this movie was interested in that. But this, I, I don't, th- I think this movie was like, people are going to be the people they are no matter what. Peoples is peoples. Yeah. I think that's really what this movie, like, like says is like, People don't really change. Right. Which is is not, it's not my ideals, but it's this movie's ideals. And I think it's stuck to its guns. I, I relate to the fact that I have influence over my son and my wife. I don't think I have nearly as much influence with my parents as much as I'd like to. I wish I, wish I could have more influence on them, but there's something, I think that's what his... Uh, Jason's struggle is like trying to get his mom to understand where he's coming from. And it's, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill of, he's just like, can you not be selfish for like one minute and listen to my needs? Like I want to transfer. I want to go be with this woman. And it's so hard for him to get that influence across. So I guess as a father, are you going to take a lesson from this? Or are you saying that you're stuck in the perpetual like ruts of, of, not being able to be influenced by your child. I think it goes against what your mythological nature is as the parent of saying, I'm the one who's going to guide you. It's not going to work the other way around. And I think it's just like, I'm going to aspire to let myself be influenced by my son, but I think it's going to be hard no matter what. I think that's, but I think that's an okay place to be. Yeah. I think... I think James Woods never got there. Right. And so he'll never necessarily admit to that. Yeah. And that's the Forrest Gumpness of it. It's like, it's kind of critiquing that 20th century masculinity of like, geez, like what a shitty life you have for yourself because you're going to have this attitude. Mm. And the, I I think, I think the movie's smart enough to make that comment. Yeah. Because like his mom, I, I think this movie shows how 
Like he, he is sitting on the couch, like laughing. His daughter falls down the stairs like five times and he never really turns around to look at her. Yeah. He doesn't care. Right. Like he, he just is like, I'm about myself. Like kids can take care of themselves, whatever. Right. But he does have a responsibility to always pick her up. Right. Whether he's in a cop car or whatever. Um, and he has, he's like a man of honor where he doesn't put his family first. He puts his pride first. He yeah. puts his honor first. But being a good parent means picking them up no matter what. Yeah. And he does. But, but, but then, that's as far as it goes. Well, yeah, because he'll pick her up, but like, he'll also bust her for like, she's at one point in time, she's just trying to get out of the small town and she keeps saying no to like baking weed for this guy in mm-hmm. her oven. And he's just like, I'll, I'll pay you $200 a day mm-hmm. to basically, or an hour or something, if I can bake weed f- in your oven. And she finally relents and her and uh, Brittany Murphy are like, great, we can finally make enough money to get out of this town. Yeah. And of course, like her son, like rats her out to her dad and her dad is given this moment where like the other copies with is like, I didn't hear anything. Let's just go. Yeah. And he's like, Nope, I have to do what is honorable, not maybe what is best for my daughter. Yeah, I see. Call me a narc, but I think her son did the right thing. Go go ahead. Say why. Because uh, I think he has this intuitive feeling of like, this is wrong. I don't want my mom involved in this. And this is wrong. I don't think that's why he did it. I think he did it because he was mad at his mom. I think that too. I think both things can be true at once. But I think he's mad at her for lots of different reasons. And I think one of them is, I expect better of you. And I, 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 maybe, I, I think maybe, but I think his initial reason for doing it is because he's mad at her. Like he wasn't going to do it at first. And then the thing that pushes it is that he's just so mad at her. Yeah. But I think he's right to be mad at her because she is being selfish. I mean, yeah, but I, I think what this movie is proposing is, is it okay for her to be a little selfish? Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that you're going to, you're so going to be in, in three months where you're going to be like, where I'm going to be baking weed. In no, my, but my you're just oven? like, I just want to sleep. <laughs> like your kid is going to, your kid is so demanding. Uh-huh. And th- every day, every day I have a feeling of, can you please just leave me alone? Sure. And I yeah. hate feeling that. Yeah. But I think that's a very real feeling. And it's, it's, I love her conversation with Brittany Murphy where she says like, like, do you really love your kid? Like, yeah. cause I, I think I love my kid, but there's some days where I just can't with him. But it's this weird curse of being a parent of you love them, but you're burdened by them. And then you're guilty for being burdened by them. I, 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 I've thought a lot about that. Like I've pre thought that mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be annoyed by my kid a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. And I'm still going to love her anyway. And Robin and I are like, like there's a lot of like baby people out there that are like, make sure you find time for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to leave your kid alone for a second. You're not a bad parent. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think she as a parent has had it harder than your average parent. Right. And so I don't blame her for doing what she's doing. I think her kid's not necessarily wrong for doing what he did, but I don't think she's wrong for doing what she did either. Right. It, I don't think this movie's judging either of them really. But it is, but I, I do think there is a point of like, but that's probably not the best way forward is we're collaborating with the neighborhood drug dealer. Yeah. That's yeah, probably totally. not 
the best way to get out. And and it's out of desperation to have a better life, but... Well, and it seems like she's been doing everything else in her power, and so she's been beaten down to this yeah, point. Yeah, and it's that Les Miserables thing of like, well... Yeah, is it okay she, to... She shouldn't to, be selling her teeth, but she doesn't really have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Do you steal the bread? It's for your family. It's like, do you work with the drug dealer to get out of there and get I mean, the there money? was probably a, a better drug dealer at the time. <laughs> but again, you know, this is the hard thing. Weed, weed you know, really isn't that bad, guys. <laughs> but, but you know, especially back then, it's like, like under I mean, no super cir- illegal. <laughs> under no yeah. circumstances was that okay. And I think if you made it, it's kind of like the context of like weed back then is I don't know what for today, but like for us, it's like in Oregon, it's like so you're doing something legal. It's like, <laughs> it's like you're making beer in your kitchen, <laughs> you know, basically. Like, not a big deal, but for then, absolutely super duper big deal, and especially given what legally, he, yeah, and for what he's being brought up in the culture of like what's okay, what's not okay, sure. And you know, it's one thing to be doing that, but it's another thing to displace your eight-year-old kid gosh even letting us to do it like i would i would have such a hard time letting lizard into my house yeah yeah um, so so I'm, just just because he it feels like he would steal something <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm more on grandpa's position of like no i'm gonna punish my daughter for this i wouldn't punish her i would i would basically go in and and say like i would i would do the hard work necessary to take everything from her yeah, and be like, look, if you don't want to get in trouble for this, this is how things are going to have to change and try to help her. Yeah. But again, he's 1950s about it where it's like, there's only one way to punish a person. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that like, I don't think he's the best representation of what a dad should do. I think he's the best representation of that kind of dad. Of what dads did do and what we've dealt with and how it's kind of a cautionary. That's the cautionary tale. It's not, it's not, don't have a child out of wedlock. It's like, no, if you, if you do, you can do it. It's going to be much harder, but you can do it. It's don't be that dad. Like yeah. be a better dad. Be a better dad. And there are times when she could have been a better mom too. Yeah. And but, it, but we don't blame her for it. It's just, she could have been. And there's no such thing as a perfect mom. No. It's, it's the struggle. And that's why the drama of this is so good because it's like you, we, we, we all concur. You did the best you could. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, Ryan, did they do the best they could to earn a rom-com Oscar? Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> what did they earn? Uh, see, there's so much of this. I, 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 I best supporting, best, <laughs> best supporting actor. Steve's on. You win. Steve's on best supporting actor. Yeah. Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack shooters. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is like, He's so fun in that thing you do, but he has so much range in this movie. Yeah, he does. I think because of that scene, he does. Yeah. Um, the Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack shooter scene? Yeah. yeah. Um, when he's crying and leaving, it's just like Penny Marshall got a great performance out of him. I don't think it's Steve Zahn like thespian just being like, I know what to do here. I think Penny Marshall's like, I know what the scene needs and I'm going to push Steve Zahn to do it. And she got it out of him. Not yeah. that it was like pulling teeth. Sure. He was game. He was he was clearly like up for the challenge. But it, this is like a director and actor really getting it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what it felt like anyway. Yeah. Um, why did they always have Me and My Arrow by Harry Nielsen playing when he was hanging out with his kid? Oh, is it the same cue every time? Well, wh- remember when he like gives him his birthday present on the couch? Mm-hmm. Um, so then and when he leaves, they're listening to Me and My Arrow. Oh, interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah. And it's like, it's a song about 
it's really weird. It's a song on an album that's set in like a world with no hard lines. And then like there's a dog named Arrow. And so I think it's talking about him and his dog. Oh, Harry Nelson does like his dogs. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, I think I want to give this um, best best sidewalk conversation <laughs> because there's this moment where um, Drew Barrymore is like, how can I tell my parents I'm pregnant? And Brittany Murphy just like gives her worst case scenario <laughs> out on the sidewalk. And there's all these like 1960s people being like, oh my, she used the word tramp and stuff. And Brittany Murphy just like absolutely nails yeah. it. I yeah. just, I don't really get Drew Barrymore's reaction to that. I think it was like a weird moment where she was like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. She was no. like, speechless yeah I, I did like her weird whimper did you hear like her yeah uh-huh i she's she's good at doing that i just think it was a weird choice in the edit to have that being her reaction yeah but i loved britney murphy's monologue totally. and so best sidewalk monologue this is a good juxtaposition of like why the movie works but is flawed is that britney murphy like nails this line delivery my daughter's a trap my daughter's a trap my daughter's a trap you're 15 years old how can you do this to me? You make me sick to my stomach. Why don't you just take my gun? Take my gun and shoot me in the head with the tramp. I wish that you were never born. And then we see the passerbys just like reacting with shock. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. And it's just the extras are being directed to do such over the top stuff. And it's like, I blame Penny Marshall. It's like, no, this doesn't work. Like you can't have your background being in a different movie compared to your foreground. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're in this broad comedy and it's just not working. Not not quite my tempo. And this movie didn't do I was looking at the numbers and it was like the budget was like 60 million and it only did 35 million 35 million domestically and I think this is the beginning of the end for these kind of budgeted movies mm -hmm. if it was made today it'd be a 10 million dollar movie oh yeah it'd be way smaller mm -hmm. because no one's going to them and it's kind of unfortunate but I don't know if the movie could have again it, it wasn't able to be enjoyed by as many people as they thought would go enjoy it right because oh, like, yeah. you're not taking your 10 year old to go watch yeah, this and like it worked for as good as it gets because there is something more... You're not taking your 10-year-old to watch that either. <laughs> no, but it, there is something more broadly appealing about it, as good as it gets. Because it never gets as real as it does. It's just kind of Jack Nicholson being a dick for two hours. And that's really funny. And, and somehow it, it does get insightful. Yeah. But it's a lot harder when it's Drew Barrymore leading it. And that's kind of really unfortunate. I don't think so. I think It's Drew... not her fault. But there's no. something about the film's makeup that's not... I, I think across. I think the the fact that that what else saves that movie besides the writing and um, its stars are j like the the through line of that movie happens over a short amount of time. Right. Mm -hmm. This movie is partway between as good as it gets and Forrest Gump. Yeah. Where Forrest Gump travels 40 years. Right. Yeah. And this movie does like 15 years and it has little vignettes in it, basically. And it's just it really thins out the experience. Yeah, and this is this is the burden of the studio executive and, you know, they make a lot of money and they don't do a lot of work, but they do have this burden of like making right choices. <laughs> of like making a Forrest Gump happen, but also hoping against hope that a movie like Riding in Cars with Boys does really well and gets seen, mm -hmm. but also gets made well too. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like from the 
30,000 foot view, it's like, what? I hired Penny Marshall. I hired James L. Brooks. Like I had all these Drew pe- Barrymore's in it. I had all these people. The, the, the makeup should have come across. And you know, I think our assessment is like, it pretty much does. We're, yeah. we're, we're both saying, go watch it. Um, yeah. Gr- bring your salt. Like there's, there's some problems, but you're going to get a lot out of it. And if, and it's an important film, I think, yeah. I think m- more films showing the, like, I mean, we talked about this in the Juno episode, more films showing like single moms and the struggle Yeah, is not, not only the struggle, but the successes as well. And like, like, I, I think those are important movies to be made. And we yeah. haven't told all those stories and yet. And if you're a parent, especially of a of a really little kid who's demanding of your attention like me, <laughs> um, uh, you're going to feel really seen by this movie. So I really, really, really recommend you go make a point to go see this movie because you'll feel you'll feel someone being like, I'm with you. <laughs> I get you. I, I liked that we, we did that with, um, we, we, we brought Ryan's kid over to my house to like field test <laughs> if it's okay for toddlers. It wasn't. <laughs> well, no, no, we, we weren't, we weren't <laughs> was just walking around amateurs. <laughs> well, we weren't, we, we are not having a, something that can actually move around It'll for a like while. a long time. And so I was just like, okay, okay, okay. There, <laughs> there. I was, I was basically using him as just a beta test subject. Yeah. yeah. You had your record and player only, down there. I was like, nope. <laughs> well, yeah. Robin and I have already talked about like where we're going to have to move that. But, um, like the, uh, I, he only has like 10 bruises on him afterwards. And so I think we did, we got away. <laughs> okay. Fine. Yeah. He, he was, he's kind of a pinball when he goes into a space, he's just knocking around. He was jumping off tables. And I think if you and I weren't around, he'd be dead. <laughs> Good thing I'm around him. Uh, well, speaking of, um, pinballs, this doesn't work, but tell me who you'd love. Are there any circumstances in which, uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends. The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, I love, I love you. I know. I'm a Brittany Murphy fan. Brittany Murphy. I think she's great. She sings to her hubby at the wedding. She's there for her friends. She seems like a really good mom. Um, she's hot to trot. I'm here for Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy. Um, I'm here for Drew Barrymore, surprisingly, because I'm not usually up for Drew Barrymore. Other You're not than a big DB fan? Wedding singer. Yeah. I am totally smitten by Drew Barrymore. 50 First Dates? Eh. What? It's it's weird. It's like it depends on the character. Okay, depends on who she's playing. This one, uh, I think uh, I'm I'm in that zone where I've got a toddler and you know seeing my this is an empathetical crush. <laughs> yeah, like seeing my wife be such a good mom. There's something sexy about that quality. Sure. No, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, and I I I watched her in this movie and i'm just like yeah i'm i'm very smitten by how hard you're working <laughs> and like nice that was a very sexy quality to me as just being a good mom yeah 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 so, it is sexy go for it <laughs> nice but okay so there's tommy he comes back at one point in time and he's like come move in with me i'm cool i don't have pimples anymore right and there was something like weird about that because i i get that person that you had a crush on and 
like, like I've, I've imagined like stepping back into somebody's life and being like, I am not the nerdy person I used to be. And I still like you, but he like does this and knows that she has a kid and a husband. And he's like, yeah, bring everybody out. And I'm like, you have ulterior motives here. Yeah, totally. Like, and that wasn't ever probed any further. It was just like a small vignette where he leaves. Yeah. But if the movie could have been bigger, it definitely would have gotten into it. If it was yeah. a TV show, this would have been a whole episode about it. I mean, there would have been a subplot building. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I'm glad she didn't go with him because yeah. even even though he seemed a little bit more put together than Steve's on, I'm like, I don't trust him. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, there's that's that's the movie that's right in cards with boys. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear us talk about another movie this week, um, you can go check out our new bonus episode on Patreon. It's Hamilton. Hamilton with Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. I'm, I'm not going to try and rap. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you, but if you want to hear Ryan try to rap, go listen to that episode. Um, you can find it at Patreon dot com slash romcom gents and uh, we'd love to have you over there go check it out it'd be a really nice present for us a couple of dads or one and a half dads Mm -hmm. Um, no i I made the decision the other day i'm like kelly's a dad if you have a pregnant wife you're a dad because you are taking care of that child the child is just not extant to to the to the mom i feel like there's so little i can do i'm like i'm rubbing robin's feet i'm prepping the house i'm trying to make money that's being a dad okay (laughs) that's being a dad like me cleaning the house doing theo's laundry picking up his toys so that his mom doesn't uh walk on them when she's going to breastfeed him like that's being a dad so you're being a dad already you're doing a great job (laughs) giving her a bra yep (laughs) um i'm gonna buy my daughter a bra 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 the, uh, yeah, that's our Patreon. Come check it out. This month's poll. Oh, where's our poll at? I don't think I, I, I would think we would need a Herculean effort to outdo the poll this, this time it's, it's Olympics themed, which now the Olympics are over, but that's okay. But it's okay. <laughs> so this poll started out with the cutting edge ahead of she's the man Wimbledon and tin cup. And it's holding on. Oh, it's holding on. Cutting edge is holding the line. So if you want something that's not the cutting edge or you want the cutting edge to really win harder, <laughs> come join, check us out. Join the Patreon. It's only the polls are only $2 and 50 cents a month. It's a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, later this week, we're going to be on. Um, oh, I don't think it's coming out for a couple of weeks, but we are going to be on PS. I love rom-coms talking about Mansfield park. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can come check us out over there sometime soon. Uh, what are we watching next week though? Let's check it out. All right. I need a number between one and 178. Um, nine, uh, 50. 50. For when uh, Beverly D'Onofrio was born. It's going to be Love Wedding Repeat. A rom-com I know nothing about, but just off the title, I know it's a rom-com. Wait a second. Do you think this is going to be kind of a cross between Live, Die, Repeat and The Wedding Planner? Let's take a look on the MDIB. Right. This was a Netflix movie. The logline is... While trying to make his sister's wedding day go smoothly, Jack finds himself juggling an angry ex-girlfriend, an uninvited guest with a secret, a misplaced sleep sedative, and the girl that got away in alternate versions of the same day. 
Okay. Wait, so is this like the ending of Clue? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So Love Wedding Repeat is next week. Check uh, it out on your nearest Netflix. Check it out at your local Netflix. Remember to <laughs> buy local. Kelly, I love you. Not quite the way that I love my son or my wife, but something special in between that. Nice. <laughs> I love you like I love grass-fed organic Netflix. Um. <clears throat> and this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs> <laughs>